Welcome back to the Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, I'm happy to bring you Keith Ludeman from Good Mortgage. So met Keith a couple months ago at a Charlotte Angel Fund meeting and you know got to start got to talking a little bit and thought it'd be a great opportunity to bring him online um, and get out there and tell a story obviously as many as you probably already know Keith started good mortgage back in 1998 um, sold it in i guess february of 2016 and stayed on board for two years through february of 2018 and and now is a quote-unquote free man so um I thought it'd be really neat to get his perspective as, as far as running a, uh, a fast-growing business from 98 to 2016. I thought it'd be great to get his perspective right now as he starts to kind of enter into the Charlotte investor scene and thought it'd be great to put it out there in a podcast for y'all. So anyways, in today's uh, podcast kind of standard format, I wanted to get to know a little bit more of the good mortgage story, a little bit more of the Keith story. Um so we started talking about what it was like to start a mortgage-based company in 1997. Um, you know, there wasn't much competition out there, but there weren't a lot of people that had created successful internet businesses either, right? So what was that process like for him? How much difficult does he see it being now, given the competition in the online lending space? Um, Wanted to talk to them a little bit about, they never raised a dollar, so what was that process like? How do they afford their first employees? Um, how do they continue to do it and expand and evolve? Um, how do they get into new marketplaces? They ended up doing collateralized debt, so how do they do that? Do they hire experts? Do they grow it in-house? Um, I, have, I've wanted, I had to ask that one specific question about the raising money, which is if he had to do it over again, knowing it could have been a big land grab opportunity, would he have gone out there and raised as much money as he could have to try to do it? So anyways, we talk about that and a, just a, a bunch of other stuff about Keith and Good Mortgage and how it evolved. We wrap up talking about the exit. What was that process like? God, did he wish he, in 2010, did he wish he could have sold it in 2006, et cetera, et cetera. So really good, solid interview. And I, I hope you enjoy the podcast interview with Keith Ludeman, um, founder of Good Mortgage. All right, Keith. So thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Certainly glad to, to spend the next hour here with you. Oh, Blake, it's great to be here. Uh, excited to talk about uh, all the fun stuff going on in Charlotte. Yeah, no, absolutely. So let's um, let's get started. You know, I told you this a couple weeks ago when we first had a chance to sit down and talk. Um, being an outsider from Charlotte, I didn't know much of the of the Keith Ludeman good mortgage story. Mm-hmm. So let's spend a few minutes just kind of bringing everybody up to speed on um, on the story behind you, um, how you started good mortgage, how good mortgage took off, and ultimately how you exited good, good mortgage. Yeah, sure thing. So uh, this story starts all the way back in uh, late 1998. Uh, my background, previously I'm a math, computer science, double geek, I guess. I went to work for IBM and, and they cut my hair, gave me contacts and taught me how to operate the business world. Um, and, and after working at IBM for seven years and a couple other startups along the way, I decided to found my own company and uh, happened to start GoodMortgage.com because I thought online mortgage lending would uh, explode over the next couple of years. Some industry studies said that 50% of all mortgages would be done online by 2005 
which gave us a six-year window to uh, uh, to be effective. Uh, so we got started, um, really found traction right away. But you know, the challenges were different in that day. We were optimizing for dial-up and AOL, and you've got mail. Uh, and you know, I thought it'd be a four or five year and uh, out, but as things happen in business, uh, the housing market exploded, the subprime market exploded. We were not in subprime at all. Uh, then the whole market imploded. Really, the worst thing that could happen to a business happened. Our whole industry crashed. Yeah. Um, thankfully, the, the government stepped in, Fannie Mae stepped in, uh, but still there was a lot of chaos in the market between 2008 and really 2012 with uh, new disclosure rules, new forms, a lot more regulation, a lot more audits. Um, and then finally, the, the market settled out, and uh, we were kind of proven as a survivor. We actually won the online lender of the year in 2012 um, and ended up selling the company two years ago. And as of two months ago today, uh, May 9th, um, uh, I've exited the company. Yeah, so you sold it. You had to stick around for two years after your exit? Yep. Okay. And, uh, you know, it, we, it was structured as a uh, show up, not an earn out, because okay. uh, uh, earnings are so volatile in the mortgage world. So uh, it worked out for both of us. Okay. Awesome. So 1998, you have an idea to start a business. You yep. see an article in Newsweek. Where do you see the article that tells you that mortgage lending is going to be 50% done online and by mid-2000s? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I need to go back and probably uh, source that original article. But uh, at the time, I... I Actually, somebody my sister was dating was a mortgage broker at the time. Okay. And he had started that a year or two after school, and he was making pretty good money at it, uh, but it was the old-fashioned way through telemarketing. Um, and I'd worked in an internet consultancy before in one of the previous startups, and I just knew that things were going to go away from you know looking at ads in the paper, looking at ads in the yellow pages to uh, online. So I, as I was researching it, I came across the research that kind of supported what I thought, which the industry was going to move to an automated online source. So talk about that, though. I mean, you know, 1998, the Internet's kind of the wild, wild west. Um, So on one hand, you look at it and say it's probably a little bit easier back then um, just because there weren't a gazillion people trying to fight for space, right? And maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe that's perception. Um, But on the other end, it had to be really hard just because it hadn't been done as much, right? So you probably had to create a lot of stuff. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, new ground to plow. Um, I remember one of the aha moments for me because I thought it'd be easy to go out and pick any domain name that we wanted. I sat down and I had a legal pad with three columns on it and I had three pages of domain names that I wanted to go see if we could grab. Uh, ironically, I didn't want mortgage in the name because huh. a lot of people don't know how to spell it. Huh. They either leave out the T or leave out the G. Uh, so yeah. mortgage or mortage. And, yeah. um, it, but the good, as we went into network solutions and searched all these names, very few were actually available. Um, settled on three, uh, settled on goodmortgage.com, uh, also loanbymouse.com, okay. and uh, wefi.com with the intent of goodmortgage.com was going to be high touch, a lot of information, a lot of calculators, mortgage school for customers to educate them because the business was still very much a accept or deny, yes or no, and you know, don't look behind the curtain. And, and, and I wanted to empower and educate consumers. We refi, we thought we'd bring in another market as refis came in and out as rates go up and down. And loan by mouse, we thought would be for auto loans and other types of loans. And uh, we started with goodmortgage.com and uh, a lot of all-nighters putting the website together, making sure it was optimized. So a different set of challenges. Um, my math background came in handy when I'm running the calculators. So that was uh, a lot of fun to put together. Um, and it took off in such a way that we never developed the other two properties. 
But the challenges in those days were different. You know, there were Google AdWords didn't exist. Uh, if you remember, Yahoo was still a manually reviewed, so you had to pay them two hundred dollars with the hopes that they would review your site and then you would be listed on Yahoo. And the organic sites were AltaVista, Excite. And, well, I'm getting nostalgic just thinking about yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. So we had to do a lot of um, you know search engine submission, meta tag optimization, where now it's you know, a little easier. You know, you can you can buy volume from advertisers. You can. Uh, uh, you can do your own Google AdWords if you want to. So it, definitely a different set of challenges, and the challenges have evolved over time. So how much, how much more difficult is it now? I mean, you won Online Mortgage Lender of the Year in 2012. That means, uh, it means you're still doing a lot of things right just a couple of years ago, right? Yep. So you learn, but, I mean, the competition is so much more vast these days. Is, yes. it, is, it a, is it a cheap, is the cheapest rate wins out there, or how do you... Um, how did you evolve into continuing to win out there in such a competitive marketplace? Well, we really believed and established a lot of trust with the customer. And uh, we had little things like we had pictures on our emails, which are kind of cheesy in the beginning. But, yeah. you know, at least you're, you're putting the name with a face as we're talking to consumers in Alaska or California. or California. So you went all the way across the country. Yeah, we were licensed by the Banking Commission in all the states that okay. we did business. Um, you know, highly regulated, spent a lot of money on attorneys and audits and everything else. Um, uh, you know, we would make sure that we contacted the customer on the anniversary of their mortgage closing. Um, if they bought a house, we would send them an email explaining how to do taxes the next year because if they're new as a home buyer. So we did a lot of things to earn trust. Um, we didn't believe in spamming the customers. We were not a big email shop that we would touch base with them maybe once a quarter, you know, try to give them something of value with the hopes that we would earn repeat business. We ended up with about 30% repeat business every month. Uh, so as we continue to grow over time, that was uh, pretty healthy for the business. So you took old school, high touch customer service um, that maybe you learned from IBM and applied it to the computer age and continue to win on a month over month basis. We did. Um, and what I found is we automated that high touch because you, know, you can always depend on computers to do what they're supposed to do. And you know, if it, a, a person could break down and maybe not do something month over month, so we did. Uh, in terms of whether it's easier now or easier then, you know, I look now and it's so easy to go out and get a vast amount of compute power where, you know, the challenges we had then is let me go find a reliable hosting company that's yeah. not going to go down, that's going to, you know, have our site up on a daily basis. Um, so it's, I would say it's probably easier now. Um, you know, when I look at the amount of money that we spent on technology then, certainly technology costs have come down. Yeah. Um, but it was, I think it's probably easier now to start a company, at least a technology-based company, than it was 10 years ago. Okay. What was the biggest challenge? Uh, really, almost being a, a pioneer in the space. Um, I would say the technology that we had in 2012 uh, would not win online lender of the year now. Okay. Right. A lot of people have jumped into the space. Um, but uh, back in 2000, 2005, you know, people didn't know where the industry was going. Mm -hmm. uh, very often, you call on the phone, you'd fill out an application, and you'd find out three or four days later if you're approved, right? With uh, technology, you know, you can run it through an automated underwriting system and tell the customer right away, yes, you're approved as long as you supply these documents. Yeah. Um, and people weren't taking advantage of that. So a lot of it was just taking good technology that was out there provided by the uh, government and applying it in such a way that it could benefit the consumers. How many employees did you end up with, Keith? Um, I think our high water mark is we had around 150, and they were all based here in, in Charlotte in okay. our call center. 
So you go from you to how fast did you have to hire your first employee? Yeah, so we started, uh, we probably had five or six by month three. Okay. And um, we were in month-to-month office space in an office that doesn't even exist anymore in Charlotte. Um, and then kind of made the typical jumps of companies. You know, we went from, you know, five or six to about 25 and then on to 50 and, you know, kind of hit all the major plateaus along the way. But you didn't raise money. So how did you afford, how did you afford, afford five or six employees three months into business? Well, we focused on being profitable from the very beginning. Um, so that's, t- tell startups these days what profit is at the beginning, right? Well, yeah. And, you know, there were two ways to go about it. And, and we certainly got our our share of criticism in the beginning because yeah. in 1999 we, we didn't have outside investment. Uh, we weren't going for the moonshot right away. We were going, let, let's make money every month, every quarter. Uh, let's let the customer base be our funding. Now, that's not to say that, you know, it was wonderful right off the bat. I would say the first year I worked harder and made less money and then at any point up until that time in my career, including the first year right out of college. Um, but that's the investment in the business. And, uh, you know, continuing to do that over time. There are plenty of years that the decision is, do I take more money home or do I, you know, invest it in a new phone system or yeah. in a new computer rack? And, you know, we did, I made the decision to invest in the business quite heavily. And, you know, over time it, it paid off. I believed in what we were doing and uh, in the end it paid off. If you had it to do over again, kind of knowing the land grab that it would have been, mm-hmm. would you have just gone in and just, gobbled up as much space as you could and raised money after money after money or um, was it still easier to do it your way? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question and you know, certainly it's very easy to navigate in hindsight. Oh yeah. The market was what it done. You know, I would have started a subprime business on the side I guess too yeah. uh, and, and sold that one separately. I was going to say, uh, you want that in a, in a separate C-Corp. Yeah. yeah. So when when that, that blew up. But you know, certainly a, pe- a lot of people made a lot of money. Um, you know, some of those loans were good for consumers. A vast majority were not, so it's a it's a different space. You know, it, it's hard to say. Um, there was a company around that time that did try to do a land grab, yeah. uh, Mortgage.com, that had a lot of really innovative technologies, uh, but they were ahead of their time. The market wasn't ready for it. Um, and you know, think about a mortgage today. You can pick up your phone and maybe take a picture of your driver's license, and it's going to populate a lot of the parts of the application. Uh, we can actually check your bank statements online electronically. None of that technology existed back in that day and age. Uh, so to, to try to develop it, to get those economies of scale, um, there was a little bit of a balance between too fast or too slow. Uh, I think I probably would have taken some investment, um, but you want to make sure you had patient investors because yeah. this was not going to be a three or four year moonshot you know, the way a lot of funds want to have. Yeah. What's So with that in mind that you didn't take investment and it did take you what, roughly 20 years to completely get out of it, right? Yeah, 17-year overnight success, right? Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. It always happens overnight. Yeah. Um, so as you talk to entrepreneurs around Charlotte these days, knowing that you did it your way mm-hmm. without raising capital, right. and the way these days for startups, not for all small businesses, but for startups, mm-hmm. um, the concept is you've got you've to raise capital in order to, to win and survive. So how do you... How do you talk to entrepreneurs about how it's, quote-unquote, done today versus how it used to be done and and might still be done going forward? Well, I I think there's a good balance, and I can bring a perspective uh, now as an investor, right, of of what I see as attractive. 
uh, and the companies I've seen and mentored along the way and then what we did. Uh, but I think I'm bringing a little bit of balance to them that it's not just about growing, always growing your user base. And some companies, certainly that's what you want to do. But, you know, I'm still a believer that the best source of funding is your customers because then your customers have validated your business model. They're handing over their hard-earned cash. You're giving them a product of value. And if you can do that um, and you can turn a profit along the way, ideally, right, but at least that's less funding you need to take from the outside. And probably your company is going to be more valuable to investors, too, if you're generating cash flow. Yeah. So kind of go back. You um, so you continue to iterate on the business as you went along, right? Yeah. Um, you got to the point where you decided it'd be good business to collateralize your own debt, correct? Correct. Um, so... Um, a computer major from Clipson, correct? From Clipson, yeah. Um, decides to collateralize debt and sell it off to Wall Street. Mm-hmm. When did that aha moment happen? Uh, we kind of knew that was going to happen from the very beginning. Okay. Right? So we started uh, very early on as a mortgage broker, quickly became a mortgage lender, then became certified to sell to straight to Fannie and Freddie and uh, to Jenny uh, it, to sell the bonds. So, you know, we're not retaining the mortgage, yeah. right? Um, you know, towards the end, you could write your monthly mortgage check to us, but we're just the servicer. We didn't, un, we didn't own the underlying collateral. Um, and, and one of the things that the way most mortgage lenders work, even some of the big guys, is you borrow money from somebody on something called a warehouse line of credit. Now, it's not used to buy a warehouse. It's just what you use to fund the mortgages. Um, and then once you bulk up those mortgages to a certain point, you're going to sell them off to a third party. Uh, it used to be private investors like Bank of America, Wells Fargo would buy. Those were called private mortgage-backed securities. Those have largely dropped off after 2008, starting to come back a little bit, but largely dropped off. So, yeah, the, the government now, Fannie and Freddie, are the largest buyer of mortgages. But, yeah, there are days that I'd walk into work and um, the, the person running my banking operation at that point in time would go, yeah, you're $150 million in debt today. <laughs> now, it, of course, it, not really in debt, but that's yeah. the money that we owed because we had the assets to offset it. But, yeah, that was interesting and exciting. To, to see the challenges that uh, time and growth bring to a company like ours. So you knew it at the beginning um, that you'd probably end up doing it. How long did it take before you were actually um, before you actually before you were actually doing it? Uh, I think we started the process in 2003, and uh, because of some of the hiccups in the market, it was 2005. Okay. We were actually lending our own money and then selling it on the secondary market. So that goes from 1998 to 2003, so five years mm-hmm. from give or take, right? Maybe it didn't happen on the first month. Maybe it happened six or 12 months into it. Yeah, we, it took us about six months to get licensed in North okay. Carolina. So April of 1999 is when okay. we started operations. So it took you four or five years mm-hmm. to get to the point where you were doing it. I'm sure part of you looking out into the future saw that aspect of the operation as being quite scary. How do you dive into something knowing that I'm going to have to do something that scares the crap out of me? Yeah, it's uh, sometimes almost a learned skill. And because um, you just you jump in and you do it, you analyze and analyze the, the best you can. You jump in knowing that you're going to make some mistakes. And uh, I'm a big fan of the book now, The, the Lean Startup, right? And mm-hmm. yeah, I was a fan of it before I knew the book existed. Yeah. Um, there was a quote in Fast Company Magazine that I had a couple years ago, um, many years ago now, 15 years ago, that it's like, don't wait until it's perfect. Put it out there at 80% and then find out what your customers say and then 
iterate and based on that. And, and that's the way we went into it. We wanted to make sure that we weren't going to make any bets that if we lost, if we made a mistake, we're not going to bet the company. Um, so just cautiously moving forward. You know, and, and look back on it now, those are some of the things in hindsight that we really could have accelerated because it's not as scary on the backside as it was on the front side. So, you know, yeah, we'd probably be more involved in these days. Yeah, well, it's like my son that plays baseball, right? Sometimes he gets scared of the ground, ground ball coming right at him, and um, he gets in front of it, pops up, and hits him in the chest, and he realizes it doesn't hurt as bad right. as he thought it was going to, and it's a little bit easier for him to take it. So do you hire experts? Kind of to come in, so on, you know, I'm sure a collateralized debt obligation expert wasn't the second hire you made, mm-hmm. but did you start hiring for the job in 2002, 2003, or did you take that skill on yourself um, and push it all along the way? Well, it, we probably took a too conservative route, to be honest with you, is uh, we had some very talented people internally to the company that had been there since day one. And uh, we would learn it together, okay. knowing that. Uh, so I was there just to make sure we didn't make any bets that would kill the company. Yeah. And uh, and this lady in particular that would uh, that learned it, and she was going to run it after the fact. So we 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 did learn it, and until we got big enough to actually go out and hire that type of talent, because uh, you know to hire somebody that's really skilled in that area. Uh, they're going to be expensive, and maybe they're not excited about joining a 25- or 30-person startup at yeah. that point in time. Uh, because in Charlotte, especially back in the early 2000s, that was just not an attractive market. You know, you'd rather work at the bank as opposed to working at a you know 20- or 30-person company. Yeah, absolutely. So talk about your exit a little bit, right? So you started it in 1998, um, and you sell it in night or 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, was the anticipation to hold it until 2016, or when did you start thinking about selling it? Um, you know, to just do the Stephen Covey begin with the end in mind, or you know, where where were you on that whole continuum? Yeah, we we did. Um, I thought it'd be a three, four, five year and out. Um, we had audited financials from the very first year, knowing that we were prepping for you know a sale at some point. I kept everything very clean. You know, I didn't finance my car through the company. Yeah. And, you know, I kept, kept everything very clean knowing that what happened. Um, but, you know, we moved a little slower than we thought moving into the lending world. And uh, then the subprime market exploded, really took all the attention away from a company like ours that was writing good, conforming, you know, grade A paper. Um, and when that became popular again in 2008, largely because there was no other type of paper out there, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, that wasn't a good time to sell. Uh, we had invested in FHA lending at yeah. that point in time, um, so we were able to supply a pretty good product to our customers that had a lower down payment or maybe had some things in their credit score. That's one of the things that we did that was a little forward looking is we'd always sit down and go, all right, in the best case scenario, what's going to happen? But we also look in what in the worst case scenario what could happen and and how do we prepare for that you know hoping that we never have to pull that plan b out of the out of the box well we did have to pull the plan b out of the box in 2008 and uh good news is we made it through not a lot of mortgage companies did um it was largely because of our conservative nature but then nobody was looking to buy a mortgage company in 2008 or 2009 and a lot of regulations came out in 2010 and you know 2011 and it went from we could hire anybody off the street and I was the only person in the company that had to be licensed to every one of my loan originators had to be licensed, which wow. means they would have to go through 24 or more hours of initial education, at least eight hours a year. 
it would cost thousands and thousands of dollars to keep them regulated where you know a bank would go through their charter and they were licensed federally not in the state basis so so we had some disadvantages that you know made us unattractive but then after a while as people were looking for technology based mortgage companies yeah it just took a long time to come around to where we were. Did you ever wake up in 2010 and say, oh, shoot, I'm never going to get out of this business? Well, it, 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 there were some times um, that I wondered, when is it ever going to happen? Yeah. You know, the good news is uh, I still enjoyed my job. I, I love the heck out of the people I worked with, and it was still exciting. And one thing I like about the mortgage business, if you don't like what you're doing, just wait 30 days. Your customers are going to be different. The products yeah. are going to be different. Rates will be different. And uh, so I just kind of embraced that as opposed to chasing the exit. And, um, you know, it, it kind of came to us at the right time. And uh, it just, you know, it, it, perseverance sometimes is a blessing. So a company like yours, I mean, I'm assuming you had a great reputation. Um, you know, big, uh, bigger company here in Charlotte, um, had been around for a long time. Right. Uh, M&A guys or um, strategic acquirers probably knocked on your door mm-hmm. every other day. There were, and uh, it's interesting in a presentation I just did is somebody said that they uh, were getting a lot of calls and would I take them, and I said I'd take every single one of them. It's just whether I kept them on the phone for 30 seconds or five minutes, Yeah. because um, you never know, right? And I will tell you that the, uh, the the two companies that were looking at us, you know, Apollo Capital out of New York and then PIMCO out of California, uh, both kind of came in through unexpected channels. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would encourage anybody that, you know, take the call. It's just whether you keep them on the phone for 30 seconds or 30 minutes, you know, it, it depends on what they have to say. What was, what was your method of screening for whether or not you're going to keep them on the, on the phone for 30 seconds or 30 minutes? Well, I'd ask them, are they, are they representing it? When you'd have an iBanker call you, I'd ask them, are you representing a specific client? Yeah. Or are you uh, just, are you working with a business broker? Um, those are, you know, probably the first gated question and you know if they are working on behalf of a specific client then you know they can't tell you right away you got to sign an nda but at least they can give you a description of what they're looking yeah and then i ask why right so if it's a business broker i'm not going to be on the phone with them very long because that was just not very uh, well done or what you're not going to get yeah. a multiple in our space but if it was an investment banker or somebody with a fund and they had a specific uh objective in mind uh that that would fit now, there's a lot of different ways to run that game, too. Um, there are people that want to provide you growth capital along the way. Um, there are people in funds that want to do passive investment that could lead you toward the next one day. And we just didn't decide that. To me, it was going to be an all-or-nothing type uh, investment. We had to show up at the right time. Yeah, so you had a, I mean, obviously, you had the potential and knew you would have the potential to do growth capital, mm-hmm. um, but it was for you it was all or nothing. Right, it, it was because uh, it, we would have been beholden to somebody else in their timetable and you know most funds have a uh, lifespan that there's going to be investment, there's going to be growth and then there's going to be harvest and with the mortgage business being rather cyclical mm-hmm. and, and some of this knowledge is kind of accidental because I saw that some of the cycles take a long time, Yeah, you know it, it really could have been painful if we hit their harvest time at a time where the, the markets weren't good for us. What shocked you most about the exit strategy? Not exit, the exit process. And I would tell you that I, I will not forget that after all the work, you know, thank God we had our books in order and all the audits and the due diligence process is a lot of work, right? So I've got to do my full-time job and go through the due diligence process. Uh, I've got to make sure my key managers are in the know, but mm-hmm. 
you know, you don't want to get out on the floor that the company may be sold. So yep. that's a fine, you've got an extra job on top of your full-time job. But, uh, you know, when it all comes down and said and done, the contracts are negotiated, uh, your attorney emails you a PDF, you sign it, you scan it and send it back, and then the other side does the other side, and that's it. I expected fireworks or balloons or something to happen. I don't know from where, but, um, you know, it's, it's very anticlimactic at the very end. Yeah. The very first thing you did, um, crack open a special bottle of scotch, um, go drive around the Beltway, I mean, very first thing that you did not vacation two weeks later but um what was it um i called my senior management team together i had a couple bottles of dom perignon set aside and we went in and said you know it's done this is what we're doing so So, celebrated with them because they deserved it how um how did they take the exit i mean some of those i mean i would imagine some of those people had been with you for a really long time they had Um, yes how did they take it were they excited were they depressed were they fearful how did you walk the employees through that process well there's always a certain amount of fear in change right Mm -hmm. in the mortgage business there are up cycles down cycles uh we had run the business in such a way that we had not had a layoff at any point in time. So you didn't lay off anybody. 2008, the worst mortgage crisis no. in the history of the world, and you didn't lay anybody off? Did not lay anybody off. Okay. Because uh, I, I really had trust and faith that the government, Fannie Mae, would come through and start You trusted the, the government? I, I did, because that's the whole purpose of Fannie Mae. <laughs> and uh, I was right this time. So, yeah. uh, it, I mean, it was a rough couple months from about August until November when they stepped in, but um, I had confidence, and I wanted to make sure that we were properly staffed for when that happened. So, um, lost money during a couple of those months, but uh, we're paid back in droves because we had the people on staff. Um, and, and, and the staff had seen that, that we were always forward looking. And, you know, when I explained the investment that they were making and who was acquiring us, why they were acquiring us, what their goals were for growth going forward, uh, it's getting to be a very expensive game to be a mortgage banker. Yeah. And uh, at this point in my career, uh, 50 I was 51 at the time, yeah. decided that uh, you know I didn't want to, again, push all my chips in because you know, there is a risk of losing when you put your chips in the middle. So we, we now had a parent, uh, an owner, with a lot deeper pockets that could take us where we wanted to go. And uh, that was my vision, and they saw that too, and you know, it, it's the way it's playing out to be. You walked out the door for good two months ago today. Two months ago today, yes. Um, how was that? Uh, it was it was a change, right? You know, because for 19 years almost at that time, you know, every day I had one place to go and one mission. Um, it changed after I sold the company, uh, largely because I wasn't making all the decisions anymore. Not that I ever did. I, I did with my management team, but now I had people above that maybe wanted to take a different direction and yep. had different needs. Um, so there was a little bit of a, a let go then. Um, so the day that I walked out, it wasn't as dramatic of a let go. Um, uh, so I, right away I made the decision I want to throw myself into the Charlotte investment community uh, to mentor other startups. Because uh, I, I had plenty of things that I wanted to do that I really had no time to do. Because my main job required, you know, 100%. And it was still, even after I sold the company, it was still 10-hour days most days. And the only thing I probably cut back on is some of the weekends. I was was not working the entire weekend anymore. You left that to somebody else. I left that to somebody else. And, um, you know, so it's it's been a breath of fresh air so far. Well, cool. So... 
Um, that's that brings us right up to pretty much the end of our show, and it also brings us up. I mean, you started talking about throwing yourself into the next thing, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a perfect transition. So let's call it a wrap there. We'll come back here um, next week for the listeners in a few minutes from you and me, um, and we'll talk about what that next stage is and why you decided to do it. So again, thanks. I enjoy the story, and it's a great story. Congratulations on the success. Congratulations on the exit. Um, and we're excited about having you in the community. Uh, thank you, Blake. I enjoyed it. So thanks. Great wrap up or great interview with Keith. Um, as as I always do, you know, really really enjoyed it. I thought hearing that story was was really cool. I love the part, um, you know, where we talk about the land grab, and he points out just because the opportunity was there doesn't mean that was right. Um, you know, really solid point. Um, and such is the case in so many places, right? Just because the opportunity's there doesn't mean that you need to reach out and grab it. So, um, turned out to be a good story for him. You know, 18 years um, overnight success story here for Charlotte. Next week, as you can imagine, I really want to dig in with Keith and talk about the the entrepreneur startup and angel community here in Charlotte. He's now been part of it for two months or three months. Um, intimately part of it for the last um, three months before we did this interview. He'd been around it prior to that. but So it's a really neat opportunity to kind of explore some of that world with him, get his feedback, his thoughts um, on both where it is and, and where the potential for it might be. So I hope you'll stick around. I hope you share the podcast um, with, with friends and neighbors who might be interested. And also don't forget June 13th is QC FinTech Class H Graduation Day. Please don't forget to register. You can head over to www.qcfintech.co. Um, and again, please stick around next week for part two of the interview interview with Keith Ludeman. William Bissett is an investment advisor representative with Seacrest Blakey & Associates, a registered investment advisor. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Seacrest Blakey & Associates. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Seacrest Blakey & Associates does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interests may be offered only to persons who qualify as accredited investors under the Securities Act and a qualified purchaser as defined in Section 2A, Paragraph 51, Line A, under the Company Act or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interests. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in market conditions and interest rates, and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.